Good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. How's everybody feeling today? Good, good, good. Good, good, good. Where's all my principle-based people that said, I will not turn my furnace on before Halloween? I'm one of those. These are the, those are the penny pinchers in church. I'm one of them. It's okay, man. I'm so glad that y'all are here today uh, as we are finishing up our series, God Didn't Say That. Hey, listen, if God's, if you've learned some new things in God's word over the last few weeks, man, can you just say amen? Can I just hear it? Amen, amen man. I'm so thankful uh, for what we've been able to learn and, and, and kind of unlearn. Uh, we've been in this series because there's, there's some popular things that people say in culture. There's some popular things that people say in church. Um, and some of them sound really good. They sound really spiritual. They sound like God would have said it. But we've just been learning some things that we associate with God that God never said. And, uh, and if you've been with us over the last several weeks and you know uh, that, that we've just, we've just kind of learned that if you believe some, some stuff that's wrong, it can maybe lead you to look or do something silly or look or do something stupid, one or the other. And uh, I'm just, listen, as your pastor, I love you. I'm trying to make sure that you don't look stupid because of me. If it's your own dang fault, I can't do nothing about that. Um, no, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. We're going to be diving into um, uh, uh, the last statement in our series that's particularly close to my heart because I believe it's a statement that uh, has really kind of overwhelmingly permeated culture. Um, and I believe because of that, it's created a lot of confusion um, when it comes to uh, religion, when it comes to God. Um, and we're going to unpack it today. And this is the title of my message today. And the statement we're unpacking is, it doesn't matter what you believe. Now, a lot of times when people say this, they will also say something like, it doesn't matter what you believe, just as long as you believe it sincerely. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you just believe it with all your heart. It doesn't matter what you believe, just, just believe it a lot. And that's really all that matters. It, it, the, the validity of what you believe is not nearly as important as the sincerity with which you believe it. And what we've learned uh, over the last year and a half or so um, is, is that, that that doesn't really work, all right? We've been talking all series long about how behavior is linked to belief, that belief ultimately drives and dictates behavior. And, and I, wanna, I wanna use something. Have you guys, so I, don't, I don't know if any of you guys are aware of, of this or not. It, um, COVID? Do y'all, understand, do y'all know what I'm saying? Yeah, listen, I know we're done talking about COVID. I mean, can we just all agree, uh, like, we want COVID to be done. We want it to go away, right? Can I get a big amen from everybody? Regardless of where you are, right, we can all agree we want it to go away. Um, but I just want to, if you'll allow me just one minute in church to talk about it, then I, I promise I'll move on and we'll talk about it anymore today, okay? Um, this is really um, highlighted how faulty this idea of it doesn't matter what you believe because there are a lot of people who legitimately believe that COVID is um, the worst thing that has happened in our lifetime. There are a lot of people who legitimately believe that COVID is overblown, overhyped. And, um, you know, y'all, those people are more concerned about freedoms being taken away than you are about COVID. Whatever, wherever you are, what, what we have learned, if the last 18 months have taught us anything, what we've learned is that if we believe something in the age of Google, we can go find somebody who agrees with us. 
And really, because we don't, we live in an age where don't, you better not tell me I'm wrong. Don't you say that. And we really don't even like to have people offer a differing opinion than the one that I have. And by the way, Dr. Google showed me something that validates what I believe. Now, I bypassed a whole bunch of other things that it also said that goes against what I believe, but I did find the thing that goes with what I believe, and so now I feel better about myself. We know this is true, um, that this idea doesn't matter what you believe. It, it begins to kind of kind of fall apart, whether it's serious things or trivial things. For instance, if you're trying to figure out, like, it doesn't matter what you believe about how the toilet paper roll is supposed to go on the toilet paper roll. Flap up or flap down, it doesn't matter what you believe. You believe it sincerely. Um, it doesn't matter what you believe about what the worst Halloween candy in the history of Halloween is. Just, just hold on to that and believe it, you're right right? It doesn't matter what you believe is the appropriate time to start decorating for Christmas. Oh, oh, we touched on a hot button. Woo. I mean, here's the deal. It, it doesn't matter what you believe. I'll just go find somebody who, who agrees with me and I don't have to worry about changing what I think about it. By the way, if you want to know the correct answers to those questions, the toilet paper flap goes on top, not on bottom. Candy corns are the worst candy in the history of Halloween and you shouldn't decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving, right? And if you didn't know that, then you're an idiot. Can we still be friends? Is that Okay. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter if it's something that is, that is big and significant or something small. The reality is it really does matter what you believe. And, and the problem when it comes to this idea of religion or God is that there's just a lot of options. And it's really hard to know. It's really hard to know which way to go. And the reason why oftentimes a lot of people um, search for religion, search for God is because they're going through some stuff. They're going through some stuff that doesn't make sense. They're going through some stuff that hurts. They're going through some stuff that has led them to a point of desperation. They're going through something that has led somebody to just want to reach out to some kind of higher power in hopes that they can get some help down here on earth. And so when we try to take this idea of it doesn't matter what we believe and we try to apply it to religion and God, well, it, it really kind of becomes really confusing. And it leads a lot of people to fall kind of into this category. I mean, when you look at all the options, it caused a lot of people to kind of fall in this agnostic category, which basically means that you believe that there is some sort of God, but you're not really sure which one it is. And it's led a lot of people in our culture um, to say, you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Just believe it sincerely. And saying that about God or religion is kind of like saying, I know that you want to get to, um, uh, to Colorado. It doesn't matter which road you take when you leave here and you go around the 47 roundabouts right here. It doesn't matter which one you take. They'll all get you there. Well, that's ridiculous. What begins to make it even more convoluted is when people begin to try to advocate and say, well, all religions are just the same. They're just different roads to the top of the same mountain. But that's not really true. Now, I don't proclaim to be an expert in world religions. Um, contrary to what sometimes people, I get some of the craziest questions. Pastor, can you tell me? And then they'll ask me like this really in-depth question about some other religion. And I'm like, I don't know. 
Thank you. Google. <laughs> but I did a little bit of, I did a little bit of uh, research this week. And I just, I'm, again, I'm not an expert. Just kind of want to skip across the top. Just want to illustrate some of the, the most popular world religions and talk about how unlike, each, how, how unlike each other they really are. Buddhism basically says that there's no central God. There's no real final existence. There's no final resting place. And that there's really kind of a never-ending cycle of reincarnation that where you end up in the next life is dependent on how you do in this life. There's Hinduism. Hinduism says that there's, there's many gods and none of them are very personal. In fact, most of them are all distant and disinterested in your life and, and what's going on in your life. Both Hinduism and Buddhism, uh, neither of them offer any sort of forgiveness or any type of supernatural divine intervention or help in any of the issues or things that you're going through on, a, on your daily life. Islam worships one central God, Allah, and he is a personal God, but he demands that you have no other idols. And, and Islam says that the, the, the manifestation of heaven and whether or not you get there is 100% based on your works and your life and what you do in the name of Allah. New Age, which has become really kind of a, a, a melting pot of a lot of different things over the last 20 years or so, um, doesn't really have any kind of a central God or central type of figure that it, it worships or believe in. It's really wide and encompasses a lot of things. And, and really the aim of most of New Age mysticism type things is, is not necessarily so much about connecting with God as much as it is about coming at one with your, with your conscience and becoming at one with nature and the cosmos. One of the more popular religions is one that most of the people in this religion would deny is atheism. Atheism says that there is no God. And what's interesting about atheists is that they, in the midst of arguing that there is no God, what they do is they elevate man's ability, human's ability to be able to understand reason and ration, to be able to decipher and decode science. And in so doing, they actually place man as the central God-like figure, even though they would never proclaim to be God themselves. There's no, uh, there's no end, there's no final resting place, there's no real meaning or value to life. When your life is over, you just cease to exist. And then to round it out is Christianity that says that there is a personal God. He declares his love and affinity for you um, and that your, your uh, ability to be able to get to Christian, the Christianity view of heaven is not really at all based on what you do and it's 100% based on your belief in who Jesus is. So when people say that all religions are the same, like it's not really true. Matter of fact, even though there are some things where there are some consistent um, overlaps, at the core, the core tenets of these various different religions are radically, radically different. And so when someone says it doesn't really matter what you believe, just believe it sincerely, they all lead up to the top of the same mountain. Well, that, that's, not, that's not true. And, and what I want to help you see today is it's really, really critical that we, that we understand it really does matter what we believe. And, and, and a, a thought that God has kind of put on my heart this week is this idea that sincerely believing in something that is false is at best a waste of time and at worst, very costly. Meaning if, if you decide to devote your entire life to believing something that you thought was true, but isn't true, you wanted it to be true, but it turned out to be false. At best, it's like, well, you know, I wasted a lot of Sundays going to church, you know, and I, you know, I guess I missed it and, um, you know, oh, well. But at worst, it can be extremely costly. 
want to illustrate this with a passage of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we see something interesting. We, we see, have you guys ever heard of a rap battle? <laughs> People under the age of 40, I'm expecting you to raise your hand, Okay. No offense if you're over 40, but I'm expecting people under 40 to know what a rap. Two, two people, they get, they get into a situation, they, they rap against each other to prove who is the better rapper. I have never even attempted to compete in such a thing. People from Arkansas like me just shouldn't. Now you want me to sing Devil Went Down to Georgia? I can sing it with the best of them. But what we have in 1 Kings chapter 18 is a God battle. It's, it's two opposing gods basically going against each other. On one side, you have um, the God of the Bible, the God of the Jews, the God of the Israelites, represented by a dude named Elijah. Elijah was God's prophet. And Elijah had gone to Ahab, which was the king of Israel at the time. And, and the king of Israel, part of his job was to continue to encourage and live a life in such a way that the people of Israel continue to worship the God of Israel. Ahab was towards the end of a long line of really evil kings who not only didn't do that part of their job, they actually allowed the worship of other gods. And Ahab didn't just allow it. He was one of the ringleaders worshiping another god that I'll talk about in just a second. So Elijah goes to Ahab, the king of Israel, the most powerful dude in the nation, and says, listen, man, God has sent me to tell you there's not going to be any rain or any dew until I say so. Now, here's the reason why that's significant. Because on the other side, you have Baal. Baal is the god of uh, one of Israel's arch nemesis, uh, the Canaanites. It's their chief god. And Baal is the god, the lord of the rain and the dew. And is believed to be the reason why that area was so fertile was because of Baal, the lord of rain and dew. So what we're going to see in 1 Kings 18 is actually... Uh, uh, round two of the epic God battle because round one, the God of Israelites won when he told uh, Elijah, go tell Ahab, no rain, no dew. I'm attacking the belief in the pagan God Baal. And for three years, there was no rain and there was no dew. There was a drought like crazy in Israel. Elijah gets upset because all of his people, the Israelites are still worshiping Baal. And so in 1 Kings 18, God sends Elijah to go confront Ahab and God battle part two is going to happen. And Elijah basically issues the challenge. Here's the deal. You take all the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them dudes, all 450. Listen, we're going to, this is what we're going to do. We're both going to build an altar. There's two cows right there. You, can, you guys can pick whichever one you want. We're going to prepare a cow for the offering according to our God's tradition and instructions. And then we're going to call fire down from our God. And the God who sends fire is the God that wins. And everybody agreed. So in 1 Kings 18, the prophets of Baal, some of them go and they start building the altar with stone and, and different things. And another group of them go over and they get the bull and they start, you know, cutting that dude up and getting it ready for the altar. And then we pick it up in 1 Kings 18, verse 26. And this is what it says. So they each took the bull, which was given to them, and they prepared it. And they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Morning was considered about six o'clock in the morning until noon. So they've been at it for about six hours. And they said, oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And then they began leaping about the altar, which they had made. Now picture this, picture a hillside with 450 of the most like eccentric 
people for their God that you've ever seen. And they built the altar and they prepared the pool and there's blood everywhere and it's all the stuff, you know. And, and, and then they start singing and dancing and praying and crying out hour after hour after hour. This is what they're doing and nothing's happening. Now, Elijah, he's just by himself. He, he's a one-man band. Elijah's over there and he's looking at what's happening. And, and I kind of like Elijah, right? Like I grew up playing sports um, and I was never the dude that really talked a lot of smack, I always loved it when someone else talked smack. But Elijah was the dude that liked to talk a little smack talk. All right, and I think it's interesting if you, you know, God has a sense of humor because this is what Elijah says, verse 28. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 27. It says, and so it was at noon, six hours have gone by that Elijah mocked them. He's smack talking. And this is what he says. He said, hey, y'all need to cry a little bit louder. For he is, he is a God, right? Like y'all believe that. Why don't y'all cry a little bit louder? Either he's meditating, really important God stuff, or he's busy doing who knows what. Or maybe he just like left and put the sign on the door, gone to lunch, I'll be back. Or perhaps he's still sleeping and he must be awakened. Elijah's saying, listen, whatever the issue is, um, your God must not be very interested in what, he must not know what's happening. He must not know that it is put up or shut up time. And so he calls out to him. And here's how the prophets of Baal respond, verse 28. So they cried aloud. They started crying louder. Notice what else they do. And they cut themselves as was their custom with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them. Now, this is where it gets a little unpleasant to picture in your mind. That these, these prophets of Baal, after hour, after hour, after hour of hearing nothing from their God, they begin to go, well, maybe, maybe our God doesn't know how sincerely we believe him. Maybe our God needs us to demonstrate with a little bit more how serious. If it is true, we just got to get his, if Elijah's right and we got to get his attention, then come on, y'all, we got to get more serious. We got we to gotta up the ante. We got to show our devotion and sincerity a whole lot more. And so they take knives and they start cutting themselves and they're bleeding now. They're taking lances and they're stabbing themselves. They're dancing around and singing and chanting and praising and blood is going everywhere. And notice what, it doesn't just go on for a little bit, verse 29, and when midday has passed, they prophesied until the time of the evening sacrifice. More, four to five more hours goes by and they are a bloody mess and they're cutting themselves and they're singing and they're dancing and they're cutting each other and they're stabbing each other all to show how sincerely they believe their God. And here's the reason why this breaks my heart. Because I believe that there's a lot of people across the city, across the nation, across the globe that have not heard from their God, that, that, that believe that the reason why God is not moving in their favor is because they, they believe that they have not earned enough attention from their God. 
And they are living in such a way that I've got to show more devotion. I've got to do more things. I've got to, I've got to lay more sacrifice. I've got to do more of this and more of that and more of this and more of those things. And I've got to be willing to, to, to be sacrificial and, 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 and to the point where it's mutilating of myself. I've got, to, I've got to continue to do more of the things to show my God that I'm more sincere. And I'm convinced that there's a lot of people in our world today that experience exactly what the prophet of Baal's, the prophets of Baal experience, because I want you to notice what it says next at the end of verse 29. It says, but there was no voice and no one paid attention. See, the problem with this idea that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely is if you spend your days and you build your life believing a lie, believing something that's not true, at best, it's a waste of time. At worst, it's extremely costly. And I believe that God has sent me here to tell somebody this today that we need to spend less time measuring the sincerity of our belief and we need to spend more time evaluating the validity of what you believe. You can believe all you want to, something that is false, but it doesn't make it true. Because this idea, and it's floated around a lot of different religious systems, a lot of people who maybe proclaim to be spiritual, it doesn't matter what you believe, it creates a lot of confusion because everything is not equally valid. So my hope of what I want to do today is I, I wanna, wanna ask you something and, and I, I guess maybe kind of give a spoiler alert. I'm a Jesus follower. And, and so um, I've gone through a process of trying to figure out what is true. I mean, with so many options on the table, how, how can you possibly know what's true? And I believe that there is a way to know what's true. And so I'm gonna ask you today, if you're here today and you don't have a faith in Jesus, number one, let me say, I'm really glad that you're here. Because at some point, every person who has a faith in Jesus at one point did not. And through a crazy series of events to include be inviting to a church that you've never heard of before to come listen to a preacher man that you're not really even sure if you're, you like him yet. You're trying to stay awake, but you know, I'm doing my best. And God works through a series of events so that we can know what is true. And I believe that, that Jesus is the one true living God. And I want to invite you today to consider him. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not asking you to consider a religion. And I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm asking you to consider Jesus. Because if you ever read about Jesus... Jesus will never ask you as your first step or really even your second step or third step to go join a religion or join a church. But he does invite you to consider who he is. I'm gonna give you three things to consider today. And the first thing I want you to consider is I want you to consider Jesus's mission. 
When Jesus showed up on the scene, he showed up into a crowd of um, religious leaders and Pharisees and religious rulers that um, had long built a system that, um, that was just hypocritical. Um, it long built a system that, that, that uh, cast stones at other people who were not as holy as they were in order to create more separation from themselves and the everyday person. And Jesus shows up in the scene and in Mark chapter two, this is what happens. And it says, and when the Pharisees and the scribes saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, right? So, so the Pharisees can't understand and can't compute how a rabbi, how a teacher of the law, how a Pharisee would ever associate themselves with sinners or tax collectors because they were better than them. So when they see Jesus eating with sinners and tax collectors, these Pharisees start tripping out. They're like, you can't do that. You're supposed to be a rabbi. Rabbis can't, it's against the rules for a rabbi to do that. And this is what they said. So they say to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? They don't ask him, they come to his disciples. They're just a little bit cowardly. Jesus hears the question and his response is so encouraging. Jesus answered and said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I had did not come to call the righteous, but, repent, but sinners to repentance. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, listen, don't nobody ever call a doctor when they don't have problems and issues. The only time they call a doctor is when they have issues. The problem is, is there's a lot of people who have issues and don't know who to call. And here's what they've learned. They for darn sure learn they can't call you. So I've come not for the healthy, not for the well, not for the holier than thou, not for the people who think they've got it all together. They don't need me. At least they've not yet recognized how much they do need me. I've come for the people who know they're sick. Jesus would put it this way later on in Luke's gospel when he said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. I haven't come to try to find what's already found. Ain't no good in that. I've come to find the people who were lost. I've come to find the people who've got, who, who have some real questions, who are really hurt, who are really broken, who are really trying to figure out what to do in life. I've come to find them so that they can know that once I've found them, they're no longer lost. Jesus would put it this way in Luke chapter four. In Luke chapter four, Jesus walks into the temple where only the Pharisees are, only the rabbis and the teachers. He walks in, it's kind of like a holy huddle kind of situation. And everybody's wearing their super fancy clothes and, and their super righteous and pious stuff. And, and they're sitting around and there's in, in the temple where all of the scrolls of the ancient uh, heroes of the Jewish faith. And one of them was a dude named Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God who talked about all kinds of things that were going to happen before they happen and over over and over and over again, they happened just like Isaiah prophesied they would. And Isaiah prophesied that one day there, that, there was go, that God was going to send a rescuer to come rescue Israel. And what they thought was is that they were going to rescue Israel to be a prominent, powerful, mighty, uh, economically prosperous nation. What God had in view was something a little bit different. Jesus walks into the temple. He picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he quotes Isaiah in Luke chapter four, verse 18. And he says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, not to the rich, but to the poor. He 
has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, not the people who everything is all happy and rainbows. No, he sent me to heal those who have the broken hearts, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who have been oppressed. People who are already free, living their best life, they don't need to be set free. But people who know that they've got issues, people who feel the pressure and the weight and the stress and the anxiety and the fear and the devastation and the diagnosis and the loss and the pain and the hurt, those are the people who feel the oppression. And I have come to set them free. Jesus finishes reading this. He puts the scroll down and he goes and sits down. And all the rabbis are looking around going, now what just happened? Because we know that prophecy and that prophecy hasn't come true yet. What's he saying? A few verses later, it says all the, all the Pharisees turn and look at Jesus and Jesus, here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus ain't scared in an awkward moment. All right. I was a middle school pastor for five years and I love awkward moments. <laughs> Jesus just lets it sit for a second and then he says, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing today in me. You see, what Jesus was saying is, is my mission hasn't come to help all the holy people. My mission is to come to try to try to, you know, hang out and hobnob with all the spiritual elites and, and the pastors and, and all that stuff. Can I tell you this today? If Jesus were to walk into our church today, I believe that I would be the last person that Jesus would be interested to spend time with. Because he said over and over and over again, my mission is to help those who know they need it. And so Jesus performed miracle after miracle after miracle. He, re he restored strength to legs of people who were paralyzed. He restored sight to people who were blind. He brought two people back from the dead. And even though some of my Baptist people don't know how to handle this, he turned water into wine. <laughs> and he walked on water. You see, he didn't just do those miracles back then. He's still doing them today. I've not asked for this person's permission, so I will not tell you this person's name. But over the last four or five weeks, there's been a, a young man that's been coming to our church. He was invited by somebody else. I met him a few weeks ago, got to know just a very small snippet of his story. He's been coming to our church the last several weeks, and two weeks ago, he raised his hand saying, man, I want to trust in Jesus. He went out and talked with one of the people on our care and prayer team. That was the Sunday, by the way, that we sang that song, hell lost another one, I am free, right? He was talking to Brian Pruitt from our care and prayer team. And he said, man, y'all sang that song today. And it rings so true to me because hell lost another one because I am free. I saw him last week, big old smile on his face. I said, bro, tell me what God's doing in your life. He goes, dude, you don't understand. I shouldn't be alive today, but I'm here. And God has changed me and he's changing my life. See, he's still doing those miracles. He's done those miracles in my life. God met me when I was just a kid, broken and busted from the, the wake of devastation and the dysfunction in my parents' marriage. They ended in a crazy divorce. 
Both of my parents loved me. I wasn't abandoned or anything like that, but I was just a kid who was desperate. I didn't even know how desperate I was to be seen, to be known, to be accepted, and to be loved. All I knew is that at 10 years old, I didn't know who to be. And I didn't know how to handle all of the dysfunction in my life. And I heard a preacher in a small church on a Sunday evening service in Jonesboro, Arkansas, that talked about how Jesus came to help those who know they need it. And on that night, Jesus changed my life. When I got to high school and things were explosive and volatile in my home, over and over and over again, Jesus kept saying, I got you. And because I knew that Jesus had me, even though there was so many crazy things happening in my home, stuff being broken, words being yelled, people leaving and storming out, all of this chaos over and over and over again, he kept whispering to me, you're good, I got you. And listen, if you knew me at any point in there, I wasn't a leader, I was a follower. I was going from school to school to school, just trying to find somebody that would be interested to hang out with me. I, would, I was at a point in my life as a teenager where I would, I would do anything to get somebody to laugh at something that I did. Because if they laughed at something that I did, then it meant that they accepted me for who I was. And if you knew me at all back then, then you would know the person that I am today, the fact that I'm a pastor or a leader, like that's laughable. Only Jesus can perform that kind of miracle to change my life like that, to set me up to do something like this. So what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to consider Jesus's mission. I'm asking you to also consider Jesus's claim. I heard a pastor this last week say something that I thought was interesting. He said, you know, God, God is not really controversial. And that was kind of one of those things, like you ever hear something sometimes you're like, mm, I don't know that that's true. And he goes, no, seriously, think about it. God's not really controversial and neither is religion. Most of the time, People are pretty accepting and even encouraging of of people in their pursuit of God, people in their pursuit of religion. I mean, you you just watch any award show, which nobody watches anymore. Just want to thank God. I want to thank God. I want to thank God. I want to thank the big man upstairs, da-da-da, right? Like, nobody gets canceled over that. God and religion isn't controversial, but Jesus is. And here's why Jesus is controversial, because he said stuff like this in John chapter 14, verse six. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. You see, here's the deal. There's no historian worth their salt that would deny that Jesus lived. And most people who've ever spent any time studying Jesus would say that there's a lot of things about Jesus's teachings that I really like. I mean, how could you not when he talked about taking care of the poor and serving others and meeting needs and, you know, don't consider yourself more highly than you should and, um, uh, you know, uh, you know live, generosity, live generously and, and all these things. I mean, how, how, how can someone not like those teachings? And so what happens is, is they want to bypass some of the things that he said, like in John 14, 6, and they want to throw Jesus onto the chessboard of all the other world religions. Just say, just pick your piece, pick your pawn, and it'll get you where you need to go. Here's the problem with that. Jesus didn't leave any room for us to think that about him. Jesus is controversial because he makes exclusive claims like this one. Jesus isn't saying, well, I'm just one of the ways up the mountain. No, no, no. Jesus says, listen, all the other ways up the mountain are tripping. 
It's not gonna get you where you wanna go. If you wanna get to the top of the mountain, you wanna know what's up there, I'm the way. And I'm the only way. No one else is gonna get you there. You wanna know the truth about who God is? You wanna know how to connect with God, understand God? I'm the truth. I'm the one that's gonna help you get there. You wanna begin to understand what it means to live a life that God, that God blesses? I'm, I'm the life. I'm the only way you're gonna get there. Jesus not only said this, listen to what he said in John chapter 17 and verse three. This is the anchor verse, by the way, of our church. He said, and as Jesus is praying to God before his time on earth is over, he's praying to God and this is what he says. He says, and this is eternal life. You wanna know what eternal life is? You wanna know what it means to uh, understand what it, uh, how you can know that you can go to heaven? You wanna understand eternal life and what it means about how to experience the blessings of eternal life right now while we're still alive on earth? This is how, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And notice how he says we, lo- we know that God by knowing Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I'm asking you today to consider Jesus's mission. I'm asking you today to consider Jesus's claims. And lastly, I'm asking you today to consider Jesus's resurrection. Can I tell you that there are times even in my life and if you've been around for a while, you've heard me tell this and you're gonna be around for a long while, you're gonna hear me tell it again that there are still times in my life where I'm like, man, I'm a, if G, Jesus, if you are not real, if you are not true, then I am certifiably insane. I spend an unreasonable amount of my life. Jesus, if you're not true, I spend an unreasonable amount of, my, of time and resources and energy in my life so I can have a better relationship with my imaginary friend. And to make it better, as a chosen career path, I stand on stages trying to tell people that my imaginary friend is real. About once a year, I have a little bit of a moment. Can I tell you the thing that always brings me back? As much as I love the word of God, I, don't, I am not a follower of Jesus because of the Bible. Now hear me, because some people just like got a little upset right there. Same people who are upset about the water to wine thing. <laughs> I believe the word of God is, God is inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired, it's without error. And it is the, the handbook and the tool, the compass that God has given us to point us to him. However, I am not a follower of Jesus because the Bible says so. I'm a follower of Jesus because there was an event that happened that changed things. That Jesus said that he was going to die and he was going to come back. There's been a lot of crazy people who've said that. But Jesus is the only one that's pulled it off. There's a lot of critiques about the resurrection. They go, well, that can't be true. That's crazy. Dead people don't come back to life. Admittedly, I understand that. Um, and that's crazy that anybody would actually believe that. And again, I get it. But something happened. Because the moment that Jesus was crucified, the Bible itself 
tells us that the people who went on to be the greatest heroes after Jesus's death, their first knee-jerk reaction was to run away in fear and hide so that nobody would catch them and associate them with Jesus and so that they would die. But something happened. Luke's gospel tells us this in Luke chapter 24, that they were in the room. They had gone, they'd all kind of huddled together in this room. And it says this in verse 36, that uh, uh, somebody came into the room and said, listen, we went to the tomb where Jesus was buried and he ain't in there. And people started freaking out. What do you mean he ain't in there? Inevitably, I don't know this for sure, but I would probably, if I was in the room, I'd probably think, great, the Romans took him. Because all the Romans wanted more than anything else was the Jesus problem to go away. And the best way for the Jesus problem to go away was for them to produce a dead body. But they couldn't. Now, some people go, well, the disciples just, you know, the the disciples took the body. Okay. I mean, if you have enough faith to believe that some uneducated, untrained fishermen can overpower trained killing machines that are the Roman guards and then bring his body out and go hide him. If you've got enough faith to believe that they could do that, then help me understand why they went from cowering in fear to just a couple chapters later in the book of Acts, standing in front of thousands of people and eventually in front of the religious leaders themselves saying, y'all killed Jesus and he came back. Why would they do that? It's because of what Luke records. Now, as they said these things, Jesus stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, supposing they had seen a spirit or they thought they saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and feet. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones for for I have. Jesus walks into the room and they freak out, understandably so. I mean, I don't know the last funeral you went to, but imagine being at home with everybody eating all the food that everybody brought. The door's locked. And they just come walking up in there. How y'all doing? Grandma, have a stroke right there. They freaked out. Jesus says, listen, don't freak out. I'm not a ghost. Come touch me. Look at my hands that were pierced. Look at my feet that were pierced. My side where the, the Roman spear jabbed into me. I'm real. See, the resurrection change these people's lives. And and in Acts chapter two, we see that Peter proclaiming the message to thousands of people said, this Jesus whom you killed, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Over a hundred people witnessed the physical body of Jesus back from the grave. You go, I just, I don't know, man, that's just too crazy. I mean, it's in the Bible. And I, you know, like you said, I thought you said you'd believe it because it's not in the Bible. Okay, I get it. So let me ask you this question. Of all the people of antiquity that we know, Alexander the Great, um, Cleopatra, Hitler, 
All of them that we know from antiquity is because they had incredible military power. They did things through force, through power, through might, through overwhelming devastation and destruction. And they led with an iron fist. Help me understand why we even know the name of a poor, homeless carpenter who proclaimed to be a teacher that the Romans killed, one of thousands, by the way, that would have been crucified. How is it possible that somebody that had nothing, that did nothing, according to the world standards, didn't have a big army, didn't have a lot of money, didn't rise to any type of power, how do we know his name? Because people like that Unless there's something weird going on, they fade into the distance, long to be forgotten. And at best would be a blip on the radar screen of history. Yet this poor Jewish man who had nothing, who was a carpenter by trade, whom the Romans crucified, is now one of the most popular names in every corner of the globe. How is that possible? I would submit to you It's because that man did something that no man has ever done. He said he would die and he said he would come back and he did them both. You see, I'm asking you to consider Jesus today because I believe with all my heart that if you could see Jesus, if you could get past all the clutter and all the mess and all the preconceived notions and all the dumb things that churches have done and all the, all the sinful things that have happened that have been revealed over the last five to 10 years about what's going on in the, in the church of Jesus, if you can get past the angry, hypocritical Christians that you know, if you can get past the social media posts that don't at all reflect the love of Jesus coming from people who proclaim the love of Jesus, if you can find a way to clear the table and to clear the mess and just see Jesus for who he is, then I believe that your response would be the same as mine, that you wouldn't be able but to help yourself but to follow him closely. You see, here's the deal. Jesus did not come to start a religion. That's not why he's here. Jesus came to display God's love. Why everybody else in Jesus' day and all the other religious leaders are pointing fingers of condemnation and judgment creating a a, a social setting that positioned them to benefit while so many others were hurt. Jesus showed up not to start a religion, but to show humanity what God's love looks like. And here's the good news, Jesus The good news of Jesus is that he didn't come to show love to just really spiritual people. He came to demonstrate God's love to the people who are hurting and broken, whose marriages are struggling, whose wombs are still empty. He came to show God's love to people who have been chewed up and cast out and thrown out by the church. He came to demonstrate God's love to people who have done things that they're ashamed of. 
Here's what's crazy. I love the New Living Translation's rendering of this verse, Romans 3, 22. It says this, that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. On the scale of of good to evil, maybe you're better than me. Maybe you're worse than me. I don't know. Can I tell you that scale doesn't matter? The only scale that matters is the scale that God holds. And the scale that God holds says that I'm not asking you to commit your life to a religion. I'm asking you to consider walking into a relationship with me. All I've ever always wanted was to have a relationship with you. And so many people have gotten in the way of hindering that relationship. And so many people have tried to convince you of who God is and and what he's all about, but their lives are such a way that their lives don't seem to match up with the message that they're proclaiming. So many people are hurting. So many people are wounded. So many people are devastated. So many people have so much stuff in their past that they think there's no way that God can love me. We're not made right with God by cleaning up our mess. We're not made right by God by doing one more good thing. We're not made right by God by, by, by going and, and, and committing to a religion. We're not made right by God by, by cleaning ourselves up first and getting the red out of our eye and, 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 and asking for forgiveness and getting it all right. No, 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 no. We don't have to do anything at all to be made right with God. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means placing your faith in the reality that Jesus hung on the cross and died for your sins. And when he cried out with his last breath, it is finished. He was saying it's done. Everything that's needed for people to be made right with you, Father, has been done by me. See, here's the problem with religion. Religion will keep telling you to do. I'm not inviting you into a religion. Jesus is not inviting you into a religion. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him because in a relationship with him, you will understand there is nothing more to do because it's all been done. You say, man, God can't love me. Yeah, he can he already has. I'm asking you today to consider Jesus. So when people say, it doesn't matter what you believe, just believe it sincerely. No, 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 no. No, we know that that's not true. It does matter what you believe. So consider carefully Jesus, the one true and living God who loves you dearly. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.